episode of Leaving Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your Legacy Newbie. With me this week, I have Mr. Jerry. What's going on, man? How's it going, Pat? It's going, man. We're trying to set up a new recording way, and I fucking worked on it for a half hour. I couldn't get it to work, so we're, we're doing it through Skype. We're, fuck it, we're doing it live. We're, we're doing it live. We're doing it live. Uh, before we get started, though, Pat, um, I do have a message for our listeners. Ooh, okay. Uh, starting today, Leaving a Legacy is uh, proudly sponsored by Boston Market uh, Chicken Chains. <laughs> Uh, they offer wholesome family meals in an easy and an affordable uh, access. Yeah, and, and conveniently, you can just get them in a directly in a garbage can, which is where they came from. So if you like Pat, Boston Market, you can just get it in a, in a garbage can. No, Pat. See, I got sick and tired of you bad-mouthing Boston Market all over the internet <laughs> that I approached the, uh, you know, the HR, the, uh, sorry, the uh, PR department of Boston Market, and uh, I saw what uh, sponsorship opportunities were available. So uh, you are contractually obligated to like Boston Market now, Pat. How many sides do you get, Jerry? How many sides? How many sides does it take to buy Jerry Me's Alliance? As everyone knows, Boston Market macaroni and cheese is the most <laughs> precious substance on this earth. <laughs> ounce for ounce, it is worth ten times the price of gold. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, boy. So I'm I'm glad we can we put that to rest. You uh you know I don't want to you know bring the Boston Market lawyers down on us. No more negativity towards Boston Market in public, please. Sure, sure. Fuck Boston Market. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, so not a ton of legacy news this week, but Jerry, you did get a chance to go out to the store and uh, play a little legacy. What did you do? I did. I went out to That's Entertainment uh, out in Worcester. And, Pat, going back to your original LGS, it's like it's like going home. I oh, felt yeah. like it was an episode of Cheers. <laughs> you know, you just go back and every, everybody knows your name, and it's just a, it's a great feeling uh, going back to That's Entertainment. So I sleeved up Sneak and Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goblin Rival Master is hot garbage. That was. <laughs> oh, you mean it's Boston Market? It's a Boston Market card. <laughs> yeah, it's a Boston Market side. <laughs> I mean, their stuffing isn't that great, but. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I wanted to try out the uh, Goblin Rival Masters one more tournament just to give them a shot, and they did just they just did not live up to uh, expectations. Did mm-hmm. not like them at all all day in every matchup. So Boston Market, I'm <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's in my head. Boston Market has been cut from the sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> Rabble Master, uh, but I was actually uh, brainstorming with Merit there, uh, trying to think of a creature that could fit that slot. Um, being, you know, kind of an aggressive creature that's an alternate win, uh, win condition, and also just curves really well off of the Ancient Tombs and City of Traders. So I was looking for something that was either like two colorless and a blue, or two colorless and a red. Preferably two colorless and a red because post board you're bringing in Blood Moon, you're going to have a lot more red mana than blue mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Merit actually suggested Sin Prodder, which I really like. So I'm going to try that out next. Didn't we talk remember- about that before? Sin- that card Sin Prodder just being really kind of underappreciated? Yeah, well, when it first came out, it was pretty popular. Like, it was a $10 card. Everyone thought it was, like, the next Dark Confidant. It was going to be all over Standard. And then it just didn't really do anything in Standard. Um, but I don't know anyone who really experimented it with any, any other formats. Um, so I got a couple, threw them in the sideboard, and I've just been playing some test games, and it is awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so for those who don't remember, uh, not that it's a card you should remember, but it's from uh, uh, Innistrad. What's the, what was the second Innistrad? Shadows. Shadows, yep. Shadows over Innistrad. Two colorless and a red for a 3-2 menace. So just on the body side, that's actually a pretty aggressive, uh, you know, uh, body right there. So menace isn't as good as like flying or uh, you know unblockable, but it's still pretty relevant. You know, if you're going up against a deck that's running like Delver of Secrets and a Deathrite Shaman, they're gonna have to decide do they want to two for one themselves just in order to kill your creature. If they're just trying to hide behind a single Tarmogoyf, you're still able to get through to de- their defenses. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like a Bob, right? Like a better, yeah. almost like a better Bob, almost. Well, Almost. So the reason why you run it is its ability, which says at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library. Your opponent can either take damage equal to the card's converted mana cost and have that card go to the graveyard, or they let you draw the card. Right. So, like, uh, Magical Christmas Land, you're probably playing Sid Prodder after you've already landed, say, Sneak Attack, and you flip over Emrakul on the top of your deck, and it's either take 15 or take 15, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, you curve Sin Prodder into Sneak Attack, reveal uh, Emrakul or Grizzlebrand off the top of your library, and you say, okay, take 15 now, or take 15 plus Annihilator later. Right. <laughs> um, and then the deck also just really takes advantage of it because it's also running two Sensei's Divining Top. It combos so well with Sensei's Divining Top. Oh, yeah, sure. Just floating the uh, most expensive cards in your deck to the top, and it... I feel it didn't really take off with some of the other decks because in decks where you're averaging, you know, one, two, three converted mana costs, it's going to go to the graveyard every time. Mm-hmm. Your opponent is easily going to take that point of damage. Not to mention, you know, whenever you flip a land, lands pretty much automatically go to the graveyard. Right. Um, but with Sneak and Show, the curve is actually pretty high. You know, Show and Tells are three, Sneak and Tax are four, Force of Wills are five, not to mention the four Grizzlebrand, four Emrakul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptors. Sure, you have a lot of the one drops with the cantrips, but your curve on average is in about the three range. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, what I found is even when the cards were going to my graveyard, the cards that go to the graveyard are not my money cards. They're, you know, extra lands or, um, you know, lotus petals. And it's just helping me dig to the, to the cards that I do need down below. Um, so I just felt that even when they were going to my graveyard, it was free damage on my, it was either free damage on my opponent or there were cards that I didn't really want to draw in the first place and I just got to power through my deck that much quicker. Right. And you still get to draw your card after this first card revealed, right. correct? Yeah, so exactly. It's not like it's like uh, uh killing your draw your your card draw for each turn. It's you're you're technically able to draw an additional card if your opponent allows you to. Right. Which is why its body is so important because it's fine as just a threat on its own as a 3-2 beater with a with an invasion ability that can get you bonus over time. Yeah. Totally. And I mean, I, I think a lot of people probably don't want to waste their um, creature removal, you know, being, you know, I guess there are swords to plowshares or I don't really know what other what other what else they're bringing in against uh, against your deck. Well, that's why it's in the sideboard is you board it in game two when your opponents board out their lightning bolts, they right. board out their uh, fatal pushes, they board out their abrupt decays because they don't mm-hmm. have targets for them. Now this guy goes unchecked. Right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's great. I think it's a great card in that in the sideboard there. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to run it in the Dual Lands tournament up at uh, Scholars this Saturday. Awesome. That's great, man. I I heard they moved out to Brockton. 
Uh, yep, they're out in Brockton. They're having a dual land tournament. It uh, will have been over by the time this episode comes out. I wish I had remembered to talk about it last episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're giving out. Uh, if they get over fifty people, they're paying out to top sixteen. Top nice. eight is all blue duels. Top sixteen is non blue duels. I've heard a lot uh, of good things about that shot, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so it should be a good good time. I'm gonna play some sneak and show. Uh, I'm also. I I went on TCG Player and I got my first ever uh, expedition pat or in uh you know in paper. You got the needle? No, no, no. Oh. I got the Gear Hulk. Really? I got uh forget the name the Red Gear Hulk. I'm blanking uh, on the name. Well, I want to say Cataclysmic because that just sounds red to me, but I know that's the white one. Um, combustible Gear Hulk. Combustible Gear Hulk. So that's a uh, four red red for an artifact creature. It's a six six first strike. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent may have you draw three cards. If the player doesn't put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard, then Combustible Gear Hulk deals damage to that player equal to the total converted mana cost of those cards. Oof. Yep. And the beauty of that is your opponent doesn't know what those cards are yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the real like magical Christmas land is to reveal Emmercool Grizzlebrand. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm running the Combustible Gear Hulk because uh, I found the deck was you know flooding out a lot in games two and three, mm-hmm. especially when my goal is play blood boon as or at turn one and then find a win condition while my opponent stalls out mm-hmm. um so I just found myself with plenty of mana you know between the city of traders, ancient tombs, lotus petals, you get up to a, a fair bit of mana fairly quickly, so even if my opponent is able to shut off the show and tell and sneak attack, I can still just hard cast the gear hulk if the game goes long. Uh, so that, it's great against good decks like Miracles, and I mean, not that Lands needs any uh, buff <laughs> in that matchup, <laughs> but it's just it's just good when I just need to find another threat. It's just increasing the threat de- density of the deck. <laughs> okay, I like that. I th- I think you're on a good path with uh, at at the very least Sin Prodder. I think is a good ad uh, over um, over uh, uh, the fuck was it the Goblin or yeah. Boston Market, yeah, the bo- the Boston Market Goblin, <laughs> Goblin Rattlemaster, yeah, I, 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 I Goblin Rattlemaster. <laughs> I think the Gear Hulk. Um, I'm not sure if if I like where that's going, but I think Sin Prodder is a neat addition to the sideboard. Yep, I'm gonna test it out and see, and uh, maybe it's a pile of shit. Maybe it wins the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? You never know if you don't try, right? It's true. It is true. But, uh, I mean, the deck still feels good. I top forward at that Z. Um, got to play some awesome people. Uh, Jeremy uh, was a fan of the cast, so it was good to meet him there. And uh, I just feel good about the deck sneak and show in general, so I'm excited uh, to play it. We should have played it at the GP. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it was a good time. To- a good, a good, uh, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I don't think it was good. a good fit at the You're talking about Columbus? Uh yeah no not Columbus uh the Kentucky Louisville oh okay yeah you were on some kind of weird brew for that right the thing in the ice build thing in the ice yeah but you know what Jerry I mean you 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 gotta play it you gotta try it right you gotta fucking the shoot Spirit shoot for the moon and if you miss you land uh somewhere floating out in space suffocating to death thanks man that's you got it. That's some real encouragement. (laughs) All right. We're talking about Modern Masters 2017. Uh, The new packaging has been released, or at least some of the packaging has been released uh, from Wizards. 
the big the big draw on this right now is Grizzlebrand, right, Jerry? Uh, yes, I mean, it's pretty much just Grizzlebrand. Well, uh, I, I have some rampant speculation <laughs> about the box itself, but... True, true. But I don't know if you saw the Mishra's Photoshop uh, image, <laughs> at least. Yeah, that was great. But, I was like, poop emoji, Grizzlebrand poop emoji on the back. Yeah, <laughs> honest Modern Masters packaging. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we have Dommy Raid, Grizzlebrand, and some angel. Um, uh, I'm not really sure. Stoic angel. Sure. Well, the Stoic angel actually has some speculation behind it, but we'll get to that. Okay, um, so certainly like the Grizzlebrand, I think it's great. It's good to see another reprinting of that because it was only an Avacyn restored. It's had a GP printing, of course, but who likes foils really? Um, and it's also uh, started to bring the price down on Magic Online, which I think is great. Right, that's the big thing. It's fairly cheap in paper uh, because the paper market saw the increase of the GP promos where uh, Magic Online did not. Mm. So that's actually kind of an interesting case study for anyone interested in this sort of thing. Looking at the price of Grizzlebrand in paper compared to Magic Online at the point when it was, I believe, the 2015 GP promo, mm-hmm. uh, and just how it affects the the two markets. So have, having it in- online is a huge deal. Paper, I mean, it was only about a $20 card, so it's not... You know, knock your socks off like Tarmogoyf, but it's still very good. Yeah, this drop went from about a 30-ticket card to a 24-ticket card, um, which is actually a pretty significant drop. I mean, that's, that's what, 20% of its value? So um, I think, you know, 30 ticks for Grizzlebrand is fucking insane, and it's been higher than that in recent memory. So it was as high as uh, almost uh, 40 ticks uh, at the beginning of the year. So, you know, obviously with Black Red Reanimator being really big at that point. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, the paper price has not really been affected that much. Uh, it's well, it's been actually cheaper than I thought. It's been hovering at about twelve dollars for a while now. Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy. Like if you really stretch the graph out there, it really had this huge spike right after, uh, like from Magic twenty fourteen uh, right through about uh, Born of the Gods. It was as high and, as uh. As and like, if you look before, it's a natural buildup. It's not a buyout. Like this is a very sharp but still steady just climbing in price. Oh, definitely, yeah. From Theros all the way through uh, Born of the Gods. Yeah, so... I mean, uh, it makes sense. You know, it's it's when it's not as popular anymore. It's not as printed. It's not being drafted anymore. And it's just seeing more and more play in Modern and in Legacy. And then we see it just kind of have a pretty steady decline and a nice level off. Actually, really not a whole lot more expensive than where it was prior to that big jump there. Um, yeah. It went from about 12, you know, 12 3 to right now it's hovering actually almost the exact same price. So um, we're seeing kind of uh, an interesting... Um, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it, but normalization it, of prices. Yeah, I suppose so. But it, it's just kind of a, a cool case study on what happens when something like, even though it's a mythic, it's just not played in that many decks. So it, it's, I think it's just a good indicator of it was good as a mythic printed where it was, and for what it is, it, it you know, it's not like it was something that should have been printed at rare. You know what I mean? It's not like it's something like Tarmogoyf that should have been just a, a rare, a rare card in the sets it's mm. been in. You know. True. What people are worried about though is with Grizzlebrand as an obvious mythic in M- uh, Modern Masters 2017, that doesn't leave a lot of room for Liliana of the Veil to be printed. Well, I think it does because. Well, you're, are you saying like because there's Grizzlebrand? <laughs> and right, mythic they, Liliana, like there's two two black mythics that are really powerful. You think that's too much? Right. If you kind of look at the other master sets, um, you know they didn't they didn't really 
I mean, there weren't that many powerhouse cards in general. Um, it's possible. It's just it, it feels like they're waiting it towards black, unless the other mythics are just knock our socks off. Great. Well, in that vein, I think I know what another one of our mythics are going to be in that set. Maybe not a mythic. Maybe it's a rare. Is I think we're going to see Snapcaster Mage in Modern Masters 2017. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah, which the, uh, the artwork on the box, I think, just is it. Um, it reminds me of the original Snapcaster Mage art, especially because the uh, FIFA one got so much flack, even though I actually really like the artwork. This <laughs> the one, FIFA this, art. <laughs> yeah, this one looks a lot like. I mean, it's a it's. It's another. I mean, it's obviously a blue mage sitting there, like with a fistful of lightning. I think it. I think it screams Snapcaster Mage. I, and I, if that's a art for Snapcaster Mage, I think it's way better even than the original art. Yeah. Uh, I. 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 Ah. I just. I don't like that they changed the art of these player made cards. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah, that's it's only fair. They have to do it, but right. I really wish they would keep it. I wish Grizzlebrand got new art. I would have been pumped if Grizzlebrand was a card in the set and it got new art. I would think that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, Snapcaster Mage right now on paper is around forty-two bucks, which is actually kind of insane. Wow. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a little high. I mean, you can get them cheaper than that, obviously, but that's. It seems to be the, the kind of median price there. I mean, that's coming down from a high of. Um, you know, right around eighty six dollars after uh, Modern Masters uh, two, mm-hmm. so that was twenty fifteen. So probably right after the release of that set, people saw it wasn't in that set, and this got a. It looks like it was a pretty sharp buyout there, if not a buyout, at least people searched for the. You know, people surged into Modern and demanded that card. So, but it's had a again, it's had a quite a level off since then. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess that kind of brings us, if Snapcaster is rare, that also doesn't leave a lot of room for the other rare people. The tinfoil hat conspiracy uh, believes is in it is uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Well, Jace would be a mythic, right? Right. So Snapcaster would probably also be a mythic. Well, it was originally printed a rare. You think they would shift it up in rare? In rare? Uh, yeah, I definitely think they would make it oh. a mythic, just because it's a, if, if especially if it's on the box, it's a marquee card. Yeah, so don't you want that at rare, though? No, it's on that, the box. Like, oh man, it sells packs. If it's harder to get, that just makes the the greed go up. Mm. People want that card; they'll buy more packs. This is exactly. Think do about we, it from Wizards' perspective. Wizards the... doesn't care how expensive cards are, so long as their prices motivate people to buy their sealed product. Yeah, All they care a, about is their sealed product. If you have a ten dollar Mythic Rare in Grizzlebrand, you need to have a better money card at at Rare in this box. <laughs> Do they? It kind of so. feels like the Modern Masters sets have been getting weaker and weaker as time goes on. These boxes sell for two two fifty, right? They're like tw- ten bucks a pack, essentially. So I've been uh, seeing a lot of the people in the finance world who deal with sealed products saying mm-hmm. that there is a lot of Modern Masters 2017 printed, like five times the number Modern Masters two was printed. Modern Masters two already sat on the shelf for a while. It sounds like we're going to be flooded with this Modern Masters 2017 product. Hmm. So they must have some kind of, they, I think they're going to pull out all the stops and sell the product. Uh, I mean, I would like them to do that. <laughs> right? Like, if they're... I mean, <laughs> like, they're not... That stupid, is Magical right? Christmas Land. We're going to make as much of this product as you could hope to buy, and we're going to fill it with the greatest cards ever printed in the history of Magic. Yes, Pat, I would love for that to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, just, that's... That's given what we want, right? That's what we want. Oh, I would love that. It's just given Wizards' track history, 
I'm not going to hold my breath for that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, they did. A, I think they did a really good job understanding the market demand for EMA. I think they did a great job with that. It's true. Yeah. Do we know um, the designers on this set? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm shocked how little we know about Modern Masters 2017, considering it's being released in a month. Yeah, it's actually kind of insane. I'm also surprised. And I know I've heard that kind of being you know, around the horn is that people are sort of shocked that we – again, this is – the first thing we got was what? On on – on uh on Monday, so yesterday actually, when they posted the art for for Modern Master 2017. So, um, I mean we're a month out, so we should be starting getting spoilers in the next week or so, and uh, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see something. We'll see. We'll see what they're doing with the set. Uh, um, my hopes are high. I'll just leave it at that. That's true. Me too. I probably won't buy any, but I, I'm always interested to see what the, what it does to the pricing. Um, oh, so. I'm hoping if there's fucking five times the number of boxes, you can actually get a box at a reasonable price. Yeah, Ant-Man wasn't too bad. You can get them for like two fifty, two sixty, which wasn't bad. I want like unless the set is insane, I don't really want to be spending more than like one fifty a box because otherwise I'll just buy whatever singles I need. Right. Well, I mean that's the thing too is that it's always better. It's almost always better to buy the singles because the the market finds a way to even out. Like the value of the average box is going to be a little less than the than the value of what you're, or than what you're paying for it. You know what I mean? Or or a little more rather. So it's it's it always right. works out in the house's favor in that sense. Yeah. Basic economic principles. Exactly. Um, so we actually had some really good questions on the Facebook page, but uh, the one I want to start off with was uh, was uh, Nathaniel Hooker. Um, Wait, I just remembered one closing remark. Sure. Uh, I hinted the angel on the packaging art. Right. Uh, so Stoic Angel card no one's ever heard of. I had to look it up. Is uh, Flying Vigilance three four. Uh, players can't untap more than one creature during their untapped steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty shit card, but what's interesting about it is it's casting cost, one generic mana, one green, one white, one blue. People are pointing at that and calling it a huge tell that Noble Hierarch is going to be in the set. That would be sweet, because Noble Hierarch needs a new printing. I would agree. Uh, so I think there's a very good chance that Noble Hierarch is printed. I would hope to see Noble Hierarch at Rare, but I would not be surprised to see it at Mythic. Uh, but uh, I am debating whether I should sell my Noble Hierarchs or not. I'm leaning towards no, but I'll see how bad I could get burned. What what are the what's the cost of Noble Hierarch right now? Uh, they are fairly expensive. They are at because I, I would imagine the demand for them has gone down slightly with um. With uh, Infect oh, taking a kind of a hit lately? They're about $60. Yeah. They're actually much cheaper online. They're only $17 online. Yeah. It looks to me like, and the price has been fairly even for the most part. Like, it was a little higher on cons, dropped to a low of about 34 around Zendikar, which is, makes sense because like, that's when all, the Eldrazi was sort of uh, crushing in modern. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of gone. They had a big spike around Kaladesh and has recovered pretty nicely since then. Um I'm curious to see if uh, I don't know, man. Um, does it have a, a long way to fall if it gets printed at Mythic? Probably not. At Mythic, no, but at Rare, like that's the thing. This is a card that could easily be printed at Rare. Hmm. Well, let's look at the price of Future Sight Tarmogoyf. Isn't that probably okay. a good? Isn't that probably a good like indicator of because it's a four of in the in the decks that it's in? Well, Tarmogoyf went from Rare and Future Sight to Mythic and Modern Masters. True. True. So it would be the opposite effect. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that was mythic before and then got printed at rare and then took a huge hit in price. Mm. 
Yeah, nothing comes to mind. It yeah. I it might just be a new case study. <laughs> we'll see yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't know if it has a a, a long way to fall because again, it is a card that's a four of, so it may just be have that effect that we've talked about before, where someone gets like someone gets one Tarmogoyf in a pack, and they're like, oh well, I guess I'm building a Tarmogoyf deck now, and then they have the demand for three more. That you is know, true. So it, that could happen with Nola Hierarch because it they are certainly a card that seems to be played in uh in a playset. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so moving on, uh, we had some really great questions on the Facebook page. The first one I wanted to touch on was uh, Nathaniel's question. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought you may have some insight into it, Jerry, because I feel like you have uh, had a similar experience with Sneak and Show. Um, so he just said that he has a Miracles list, and he has sleeved up. Uh, he's been playing it for about a year. Uh, sorry, he had sleeved it up about a year ago after playing Jeskai Delver, then Jeskai Stoneblade. Um, after Eldrazi came out, he switched, and he went to SCG Baltimore and uh, played in the Lexi Challenge, and he said he totally scrubbed. And he said, uh, his question is, does anyone think that switching back to Stoneblade is a bad call? Or should I just suck it up and jam Miracles more? I know it's quote-unquote the best deck, but I can't seem to be anything other than Miracles decks. Um, he says he honestly doesn't know how many reps he has with Miracles as he has with Stoneblade. Uh, so, Jerry, what's your what's kind of your take on this? Because I know, to me, at least from the outsider's perspective, you're, you're adept at Sneak and Show, and you like to try out other decks, um, but Sneak and Show seems to be the one that you know inside and out, and it seems to be have your best win rate when the, when the timing is at least reasonable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this is a, a pretty complex uh, question and, you know, really has a lot of facets to it. Um, so I would just say playing just whatever is the quote unquote the best deck isn't a reason to play it. Um, Legacy is not like standard or even modern where you get huge swings and advantage from just playing the quote-unquote best deck. Mm -hmm. There are so many different decks and so many different strategies that it's impossible for any one deck uh, without some seriously broken cards that are either quickly banned uh, or quickly hated out. Uh, it just, it's just not possible to, to get that level of edge over the rest of the competition. So it really falls down to what you're comfortable with. Now, you can practice decks. I mean, the only way you get to that level of comfort is by playing that deck. What I would say to him is ask if he actually enjoys playing Miracles. Um, because I tried playing Miracles, and I would play it in test matches, you know, running it in the gauntlet against friends, helping them practice against the deck, and I just found I was terrible with the deck. It just does not fit my play style at all. Um, so... I definitely think everyone has styles of decks that we naturally gravitate towards, and I would definitely say play to your strength. If you find you are good with Miracles, you have fun playing Miracles, even when you don't win, you still enjoy playing it, I would definitely say stay on Miracles. But if you're not having a good time, you know, we play this game to have fun. It's, mm -hmm. There's no point playing a deck that you don't enjoy just because you want to win some games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if I can just add on to that, I completely agree. Play with what, play the decks that you love. I mean, I played Eldrazi for a while, and I do like the deck, but I really love playing Blue Red Delver. To me, or I'm sorry, is it Miracle? That's what I like to call it now. Um, it is, it is just a really fun deck to play. I like the interactions it has, even though it's not always best position in the meta. 
Um, I really like playing the deck, and that's the one I had the most experience with. And when we went out to Columbus, I could have played, um, I could have put Eldrazi together, but I literally had zero reps of the deck. I could have played Grixis, which I had, you know, very few reps, or I, or I could play Blue Red Delver. And I played Blue Red Delver, and ha- even though I, you know, my record was like just over 500, I think, um, I still had a great time on the weekend, and I really enjoyed playing that deck. And I didn't, I didn't feel bad playing, you know, a uh, suboptimal deck, you know, according to what is quote unquote the best deck. Um, I'd also like to add that Miracle. I think out of all the decks in Legacy, Miracles probably benefits from um, practice the most. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think Miracles mm-hmm. is one of those decks similar to Grixis Delver, uh, which I think is why uh, people who are ex- extremely good Magic players kind of favor those decks. It's because um, they're 50-50, you know, throughout th- through most of the field. I think maybe a little favored here, maybe a little unfavorable here. Um, but knowing the matchups and knowing the decks is is way more significant and going to give you much better edges than just playing the quote-unquote best deck in the format. So, um, you know, I think I think you have to ask yourself a few questions and sort of be real honest with yourself. Do you enjoy playing the deck? You know, what are you trying to get out of playing it at a tournament? Are you trying to uh, have fun and play decks that you really love? Then maybe Jeskai Delver, Jeskai Stoneblade is where you want to be. Um, or if you want to be really spiky about it and, you know, it's for you it's just about winning, then probably Miracles is a better list to play and you just need to get as much practice with it as you can. Yep. And I would just say, going off that, the reason why you choose a deck that you love is you're more likely to play that deck, and you'll yes. just get the practice just yep. naturally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, if you're looking for advice on how to get better at the deck, um, if you don't go to MTG The Source, that's a great place uh, for information. I know The Source can be a little bit toxic on some of the pages. I heard the Miracles page isn't the most welcoming of spaces. Um, the other place I'd recommend is the Brainstorm Show. Those guys love Miracles decks. And uh, are very adept at playing them, so I'd recommend checking them out as well if you don't already. Yeah. Also, just hit up the Facebook group. I know we have a lot of very good Miracles players. You know, Lawrence, who we've yeah. had on the cast before, he's a great Miracles player. Yep. I've watched him play many times. Steve, Steve Hendrickson's another great Miracles yep. player. Steve, exactly. So just, you know, hit people up who are known for playing the deck, and, you know, people will gladly give you help. Yeah, and it looks like he had a ton of, like, pretty oh, – I should. he had a lot of really great advice – just when he posted the question on the page. So I think it's awesome that um, the, I, I don't know, man. I mean, our group is like two, 450 people strong, and it, it keeps growing, and it, it is really just a really positive place. It's really inviting and uh, just awesome. I really love the, I really love the page, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get on to some of the questions. Uh, we had a bunch uh, for the cast, so we, we, we'll dig right into them. Uh, Lawrence asked, uh, why are the Amakit basics so dope? And oh. I agree, they are really nice. Yeah, thank you, Lawrence, because I totally forgot about this. Uh, Wizards announced that they are going to be having full art lands in Amonkhet. Yep, and it looks like actually in every set going forward, they're going to have full art lands available. Thank are, you! Yes, they are, thank- a higher, they are at a higher rarity. <laughs> they're, I think one in four packs will right, have, will have a, ba- a full art land which i so, like that it makes I, them more I desirable it. It makes it. Them more, it i ma- like that yeah it makes them a little more desirable but makes them still extremely accessible like you're like a basic land is never that expensive they're like two or three cents so mm-hmm. these might be 15 to 30 to maybe 50 cents a piece yeah. so which is totally reasonable for a full art land and a short mgg finance side uh i guarantee you if they that continues uh, if you keep an eye out for the particularly beautiful full art lands, especially foils, over time, I wouldn't be surprised to see a collector's market spring up around these. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and these are actually all these lands are really gorgeous. They're, they are It's a cycle, great. and it's not done by anyone in, by any single artist. It looks like they're 
uh, a few different artists. The picture's not like high def enough to where I can see the, the a lot of the names. Um, but it looks like there are yeah different artists on each card. And the cool thing is that you can see the Nicol Bolas horns in the background. I'm sure it's like some kind of structure built. Um, but so, uh, so let me ask you, Pat, because I've heard people go at it both ways. So for those who haven't seen the lands yet, it, each one is a unique. Uh, you know, atmosphere, islands, mountains, swamps, plains, forests, but all of them kind of have a Ravnica feel in that there's buildings in all of them. Uh, it's not pure wilderness. Well, yeah, but it's but it's Amonkhet, right? So it's this huge, right. sprawling metropolis based on Egyptian culture. You see exactly. a lot of pyramids, he obelisks. What, what's your question? You so think? people are wondering, the structures in each of these lands... Are they all the unique bola structures in each of the mana sources, or is it all focusing on one giant structure in the middle, and it's almost like a five-slice pie going around the oh, Nicolas horns in the middle? Uh, I don't think that works that way because you'd only get this, you'd only get the full thing of the horns from two sides of the structure, unless they like rotate, I suppose, but. And it, it doesn't seem to do that. I think that they're just... Oh, the painting doesn't seem to rotate? <laughs> well, no, you, you know what I mean. Like, the actual structure itself doesn't look like it rotates from the way the It's, art, it's the not art structurally looks. sound, Bob. Can't I'm just it. saying, like, you only get that view from literally two sides of that structure. So, like, from opposite ends of that structure. So, if it was truly a color pie, like, style, like, uh, you know, rotating around, it really wouldn't make sense that way. Um, I think maybe these horns are in, maybe there's, like, different continents in each of these structures that is in a different continent, and this is, like, the center of the city, looking into the center of the city or something like that. I really don't know, but, um, I think that the idea that it's actually, like, a pie, like a Boston Market heart garbage pie that you're cutting a slice out of. <laughs> a delicious Boston out. cream pie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, yeah, uh, the basics are awesome. I'm, I'm psyched for them, and uh, I'm glad to see full art basics. These are almost as nice as the unhinged lands. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Unhinged are still the best full arts. It's true. Uh, it's because uh, they don't have a bump. I wish it was just a <laughs> flat plane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brayden asks, what happened to Adrian? And uh, I think someone said he got walled into his ba- into his uh, his, uh, his bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, no, Adrian. Adrian just kind of like stepped away. He hasn't been in, in, as involved in the cast, and he's just let sort of Jerry and I take the direction of the cast for now. And obviously, he's always you know welcome back, and he's always part of the uh, Leaving Legacy fam, as he is the OG Leaving a Legacy guy, along with uh, with Jerry here. So. Uh no he's just he's just uh he's still around he's still playing some magic I saw him jamming uh some legacy up at uh TE a few weeks ago so he's still playing magic but uh as far as recording goes he just hasn't been able to be involved with it lately so he's just kind of taking a, a step back and like I said letting us run with it oh yeah um so Aaron let's see is this even worth reading <laughs> how many children and to what demon or god does Jerry have to sacrifice and how often does he have to do this to maintain his momentum of luck and magic did you crush him at at TE or something <laughs> <laughs> I did beat death and taxes with sneak and show this weekend <laughs> did you really <laughs> it, wow. yeah it was a great feeling uh, oh yeah that's another thing uh adding the omniscience to the deck uh has been awesome because oh, you against... put omniscience back in yeah, so I have a one of omniscience in the deck. I don't have the intuition or the cunning wish combo. I don't really like that. I feel it clutters the deck too much. Mm-hmm. But I just like having the one of intuition because in games where my show and tells would usually be dead, they're now no longer dead. I can put that omniscience in play. Like that's how I beat. Uh, that's how I beat. Um, uh, what is it? Death and taxes is I show and tells, and instead of putting. Uh, 
Emrakul directly into play because my opponent had Krakus out. I put Omniscience and then just hard cast Emrakul and then took another turn. And then I'm like, okay, do you want to bounce Emrakul so we can do this all over again and I just take infinite turns or do you want to scoop? So just the Omniscience has been a, a great addition to the deck. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I think that's cool. Um, uh, as far as how many children and what demon or gods do I have to sacrifice to, I think it's probably just Grizzlebrand. He just has to sacrifice children of Corlys once in a while. Seven. So. Seven. Seven children. Um, so Tom Smiley asked, actually kind of a similar um, a question that uh, Nate had asked, or Nathaniel, when do you make the switch away from a legacy deck you've been playing a while? Now, Tom's been on the Bant, uh, Deathblade build, right? He, that's what he played down in, uh, was it Baltimore we had talked about? Mm-hmm. Uh, played, yeah, yeah we had a, a really great a really great finish down there. Um, he's very good with the deck. Um, Jerry, when do you think you when is the time to switch away from a deck that you've been playing for a long time? A deck that you're we'll, we'll say you're adept with. When you don't want to play it anymore. <laughs> well, so I know but, that's the worst answer, but I mean that's that's what I do. It's well, like I, I'll play decks until I'm not having fun with them anymore. But you know, sneak and show is my bay. I love sneak and show. Mm-hmm. I'll always come back to sneak and show. But you know, sometimes you got to wander and uh, you know, sow your oats uh, to the four winds for a while. So the, the question is, what I guess my the follow up is, what would make you not want to play a deck then, Jerry? Because maybe that's uh, the real question. Uh, like a string of bad losses, like okay. when I feel I am either too into it or like I'm too close, I need to step back and take a breather. When I find that I'm making mistakes, I see why I'm making those mistakes, and yet I'm still losing matches, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes repeating the same mistakes, tells me that I need to take a break and I need to try a different strategy to clear my head so that I can come back and approach it at a different angle. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of in the same spot there. Um, I stepped away from Blue Red Delver because Eldrazi looked fun and and like something neat to play, and I was kind of getting stagnant with Blue Red, and I went back to Blue Red after a while, playing playing a lot of Eldrazi on Magic Online and stuff. And um, but for me, I think when I switch away from a deck, it's when I'm no longer having fun with it. And I think for me, fun is a combination of actual fun playing the deck if it's interactive, if it's a fun deck to play, um, if there's decisions to be made, and also a portion of that fun kind of uh, equation is am I winning am I winning at least am I you know am I going even 500 is is acceptable if I'm playing a deck you know that's that's fine so am I doing fairly well or if I, am I doing mediocre you know and and am I enjoying playing the deck so I think you kind of have to weigh what's most important to you again I think it's it's similar to what we were what I had you know the advice I had for Nathan and what's important to you is it is it your win rate you know, is it your overall win rate, or is it? Are there other factors in there? So, um, I I will say I will continue to play a deck uh, for a while, if even if I'm not as much enjoying it, if I just keep winning despite myself. <laughs> okay, so so that's a great that's a great point then, Jerry. So for you, it's not necessarily always about how much fun you're having with the deck. Your your win rate. So like, if you were looking at the uh, the scale balance here, your win rate has a much uh, higher portion of of the of the equality scale there than than the amount of fun you have playing the deck. Yeah, I mean, fun is always is always first and foremost. But if like I'm I'm a competitive player, I like to win. Winning and having fun sometimes go hand in hand with me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was playing Punishing Thing in the Ice, there were tournaments where I was winning and I wasn't happy that I was winning them, but I was winning them. Goddamn it. <laughs> 
<laughs> just you know sometimes decks take a lot out of you they're grindy they're you know they're hard on uh you know hard on the emotions mm-hmm. but uh i you know i would definitely continue playing decks uh if i'm just cashing on them you know if yeah. i'm entering tournaments and i'm top flooring top aiming them uh, and they're you know significant tournaments i'm gonna keep playing that deck just you know ride it for as long as possible because you know hot streaks only come around so often so don't look a gift horse in the mouth mm-hmm. all right awesome um uh, Kate wants to know where we're hiding Adrian's body. And again, it's, it's in the wall of the bathroom. We've already talked about that. <laughs> yes, uh, Braden said, tiled into the wall of that yeah. bathroom. That <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, John Kerman. Uh, hey, John. What's going on, man? Long time no talk. Oh, uh, actually... I'm pissed because me and John made plans to go play at Pandemonium on Thursday on their Legacy Night, and we show up, and Legacy was canceled because they were having some book signing. Oh, books are for nerds. Nerds! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he asks, Leovold versus Shardless Agent in a bug shell. I guess he's asking, what do we think is a better card right now? Ooh, yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, do you like Shardless Bug, or do you like Bug Control better? I think Leovold's a better right now, personally. I yeah, I, I just think um, the bug control just gives you more control. Charlotte's agent uh, is. Oh really? The control well, that gives you more control? No, that not that's not what I mean. Fucking As real, in, real good insight, Jerry. Charlotte's <laughs> Charlotte's is an advantage deck, and so it just you don't really have you know diction over when things happen. You cast Shardless Agent, and you might get an Ancestral Visions, you might get a Him to Torak, you might get an Abrupt Decay. You don't really know. An Abrupt Decay with no targets. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Shardless Bug is just going to steamroll your opponent by just getting, uh, you know, an insurmountable mass of just card advantage and steamrolling you. Mm-hmm. Whereas Leovold Control, I feel, gives you the more decisions, and it also leads to, you know, how comfortable you're with the deck and you know that your skill level uh with the deck because generally the better player who is given more decisions will win a game than a similarly skilled player with fewer decisions yeah yeah agreed you have Um, the opportunity to make the right decision and make it count that can be a huge advantage in of in and of itself i also think that on its own leovold in a vacuum is a more powerful card than charlotte's agent um and I think that uh, the top decking a Leovold mid game is way better than top decking a Charlotte's Agent mid game if you haven't had the opportunity to set up a good a good uh, cascade trigger. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, just lots of card advantage. Seems like Bug is the color of card advantage. Yeah, I mean black, black, blue, green. What else can you want? It's true. I think it might be my favorite shard. I I, I must say. I don't know what a shard is. I only play two color decks. <laughs> or no color decks. One of the two. It's, you like that level of colorblindness, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just following your footsteps, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, you know I what think... it is? Is all the Boston Market has destroyed my eyes. <laughs> Enjoy Boston Market. It'll reduce your vision of the sp- uh, color spectrum. <laughs> um, all right, so moving on. Uh, Brayden asks our fa- oh I'm sorry Jonathan asks uh, best deck in all Leovold meta so I, I'm, what I'm going to assume is that he is I'm going to assume that he is playing in a store where everyone's playing a bug Leovold deck I'm I'm guessing that is what he is asking how do you attack the Leovold meta I think what you do correct me if I'm wrong you got to be faster a deck that doesn't draw cards and maybe one that prevents them from playing spells what do you think that's a hard deck to find in Legacy. <laughs> please, <laughs> please describe what that deck is that does not draw cards, but is also super fast. Uh, all right, so there's two that come to mind, and I'm being 100% serious. Um, Eldrazi, 
is a deck that does not care um, about drawing cards because it doesn't draw cards. Mm-hmm. It is very fast. It can play Chalice for one, Chalice for two, pretty at least Chalice for one pretty reliably on turn one uh, quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very almost never targeting a permanent they control. So Leovold becomes sort of like a 3-3 three, three with no abilities. Um, I can see that. My only problem is the same decks playing Leovold are also running for True Name Nemesis. And sure. True Name Nemesis pairs up very well against uh, Eldrazi. Right, but they're only I mean they're not going to be cheating out True Name earlier than turn 3. I think it comes down to the Chalice of the Void. If you can land an early Chalice of the Void and prevent the bug player from playing Deathrite Shamans to ramp into those power 3 drops, I think you have a much better chance. Agreed. Um my other suggestion is tell me Jerry, what do you need to cast Leovold? Uh, you need a black, yep. you need a green, yep. and you need a blue. Okay, what if you only have access to mountains? <laughs> what if you're playing like a big red deck that just, it, like its goal is to play turn one Blood Moon or turn one Magus of the Moon? So I have some first, uh, first-hand experience with this, Pat. Um, okay, okay, I okay. played the Leovold Bug deck this Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, and I also brought in Blood Moons, and the Leovold Bug deck, even though it is a greedy mana base, still runs three of each basic. Really? Um, yes, and my opponent was able to find those basics, and even they don't even need to find all three. If they just find a swamp or they just find a forest and have a Deathrite Shaman, that Deathrite Shaman can make whatever other color they need for them to abrupt decay your uh, Blood Moon. Sure. So while Blood Moon is very effective against a deck like uh, Shardless, it's not as effective against the Bug Leovold decks. Uh, uh, at least my first-hand experience has been with it. Hmm. Okay, all right. I still, I still think that a like, Blood Moon deck is still okay fighting against a Leobold deck. I also yeah, think I would, that, like, I would still bring it in. I mean, right, you still well, hit a vast majority of their their mana base. I think too the problem, Jerry, was with the deck that you're talking about. Like, you're uh, as a sneak and show player. Like, if when you hit the turn one Blood Moon, you don't have a lot of follow up immediately. It's going to take you quite a few turns to get going. Whereas, True. like a big red deck is going to be able to do something major in the next turn or two. So they may yeah. not have time to recover from that turn one Blood Moon. Yeah, it's, I would ag- I would agree that uh, the the mono red Stompy lists that can just follow it up with you know quick uh, pressure after the Blood Moon it would definitely be better positioned for that. Yeah, so it's just just a thought. Um, I'm sure there are other decks that just kind of edge it out. Um, uh, I would think that like Miracles is probably okay against like a Leobold deck, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I really don't. I really haven't got a chance to play against the deck too often, so. Um, um, what I will say is, uh, sweepers are important. Sure. Um, you want to be able to kill the Leovold without targeting it. Uh, so I've actually noticed a big uptick in engineered explosives seeing play. Yeah, well, that's um, been, that's been a, a mainstay now in the main deck of a lot of Miracles decks. Um, yes. again, it was mainly to, to fight against, uh, the Eldrazi decks, and now it's also kind of taken over the spot of killing uh, True Name Nemesis. Right, that's why it's so important is it's a 3-drop, and it it's an important sweeper that you can pinpoint uh, this destruction and get the best cards that are against you. So, uh, Engineered Explosives is great for any deck that can run it, um, but if you don't have it, uh, you know, just look for uh, Sacrifice Effects and like Wrath of God Effects. Uh, ways to kill those creatures without actually pointing your finger at them. Yep. Uh, you know, in a, in a similar vein, uh, Braden's question was favorite spell to kill Leovold with. He suggests bolt, plow, push, something more exotic. Uh, Tom suggested Council's Judgment. I think that's probably a great one to kill. Yeah, with. Council's um, Judgment's great. Uh, I like bolt. 
because uh, if I'm facing against a Leable deck, I'm just going to bolt him when I get the card, and then I'm just going to kill him with Delver and uh, Swiss Spears. So that's fine. Uh, Kate said all is dust, which makes sense, because she's a, a mud a mud player. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry, anything you you had suggested besides uh, what Brayden had pulled up? Um, I generally don't like to kill Leovold unless I have to. Don't you have um, to, though? It depends. It really depends on the situation. I don't kill Leovold until I have to. Maybe that's sure. a better way to phrase it. Okay. Um, you know, just try and get control of it, because uh, if you just have a Tarmogoyf out, and you're not casting cantrips, and you're not targeting their stuff, you're just, uh, you know, trying to deploy your board, Leovold's just a 3-3 three, three for 3. Um, you are going to have to kill him eventually because you're going to have to start clearing the way and casting cantrips. Um, but you know, try and try and beat the Leovold out so that you can kill it in combat. Mm-hmm. I would definitely trade a flip Delver for a Leovold. You know, nine times out of ten. Oh sure, yeah, sure. Um, Jared Feist asked, uh, "Is it better to play combo grind or a deck that does both? Meaning it is Plan A or bust versus having a Plan B." Um, I so like that. What I think about is playing combo. To me, the combo decks are like something like Storm, uh, like an Ant deck, um, something like um, uh, why am I why am I drawing a blank <laughs> on what's the one that makes all the goblins? Um, uh, Belcher. Belcher. <laughs> uh, yeah, Belcher. Um, what do you think, Jerry? I, I think that it, it. I think if you're a combo deck, you're just a combo deck. Like I don't think you really want to play a Plan B because I think it waters down your first plan. But that's just kind of like my overall feeling on the matter um i would say i always like to have a plan b so long as it fits mm-hmm. um you know going back to sneak and show i will pretty much always run at least one copy of jace the mind sculptor because i just like knowing that i have that out in my deck um i never want to be stone cold in any matchup i want to at least be able to see the out i don't want to scoop out of boredom in a tournament um so I would definitely say, you know, have those options that are just good in their own right. Jace is a great uh, win condition because you don't play him to be a win condition. You play him because he's Jace the motherfucking mind sculptor. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a lot of initials. It is. It is. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's also why I'm adding Sin Prodder to my sideboard. That's why I'm adding Cataclysmic Gear Hulk, because these are cards that fit with my strategy, and they give me a plan B to give me an out if my opponent has a particular hate piece. Yeah. Um, so I always like to have an emergency plan B. Okay. Uh, but I don't sacrifice deck integrity for it. Right. I just think that inherently when you try to create a plan B, it does just interfere with your with your combo plan. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way around it. I think that's why you see most plan Bs in the sideboard. Yeah. Um. You know, you play to win game one, and then you see what their hate piece is game two, try and beat it. But if you realize you boarded incorrectly, board in those other cards for game three that, uh, you know, will allow you to just lock up that match. Right, right. Um, all right, so moving on, John Kennedy asks, um, if you were to build a gauntlet of decks to play against and let friends borrow tournaments, which would they be? The decks can't share the same land base. This is a, <laughs> this is quite the question. I know. I feel like I need spreadsheets. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, that's, a t- that's a tough one because what you're really asking is how many decks can you make across a single collection if your collection is all four ofs? I, I see where he's coming from because I've also kind of pondered this question while surveying my uh, deck. Uh, because I'm lazy, I don't like sleeving decks. <laughs> You're lazy? Really? <laughs> Mister, I, like... I, I take an Uber to work every day? <laughs> hey, hey, hey! 
I don't like sleeving and unsleeving decks, so I often like being able to just have multiple decks so when the fancy strikes me or I can play against friends, uh, I can play decks without having to switch cards out in proxies. So I would even add to it without sharing Wastelands and Force of Wills, since those are also cards that people probably aren't going to have multiples of, and they fit in a lot of legacy decks. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't really have a good answer for this, just because I haven't got a chance to really... Again, uh, make a spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> kind of the problem with like a lot of legacy decks is that they share a lot of the same land base. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at least, I think looking at it is you can kind of choose the five points, uh, you know, spread so, out across the meta. So you can make death and taxes. You can make death and taxes, uh, make... but that w- that's locking up your wastelands. So right. uh, that's true. That's true. So I I would say you know does Eldrazi run wastelands? It does. It does. Mm. Three or four. And, like, if you're playing Eldrazi, you can't also have a Sneaker Show deck. True. Because they're playing Cities and Ancient Tombs. That's a tough one. It is. Uh, uh, so, um, Miracles, I guess? Elves? Yep, I think Miracles is good because you don't really use that many dual lands. And, I mean, you lock up your Force of Wills with Miracles, but you can make do uh, in other decks not yeah, needing so Force of Wills. Miracles, Elves, Death and Taxes. Yep. Um... Uh, high Tide. They, actually, they play Force, don't they? Yeah, they definitely play Force. Um, What's a... a Merfolk? I would oh, say, no, Merfolk plays Force. say probably either Jund or... Uh, you can't do Aggro Loam because Death and Tax is using the Death and uh, is using the Wastelands. Yeah. But I would say Jund, uh, Wastelandless Jund. You can play, like, Ghost Quarter in, in, in its place if you really wanted to. True. Or split, like, do, do two Wastelands and Death and Taxes, two Wastelands and Jund... I don't know. It, I mean, but I think like at least those are three decks they could they could use, death and taxes and and and. That's tough. That is difficult. There, I mean, that's part of one of the reasons why the land bases are so expensive is that they are used in lots of decks and just as a high demand form. It's true. Um, all right. So uh, William asks, uh, if you were to get rid of the reserve list, how would you do it and why? And so he says, kind of like mass refit print versus small masterpiece. All cards on the list are just some. Uh, direct reprints or functional reprints. Something like donate versus harmless offering. So kind of a multifaceted question. This is something that could take up an entire episode, um, but I'm just going to give you my quick rundown. I would get rid of rid of, reser- rid of the reserve list, um, mainly because I think it's a complete fallacy that it props up the entire game. I think that the people who really um, need the reserve list are collectors, and collectors don't keep the game alive. The people who keep the game alive are people who are playing standard. Anyone who thinks that people in standard care about the reserve list are out of their minds. I think there would be some major losers if the reserve list went away. Um, but I think that if you want to keep uh, the eternal um, eternal formats alive and, and, and thriving, uh, you, you, it would eventually need to go away. Um, I think um, mass reprints is the only way you can really do it. I would do it in something like a master's set. Um, and I would probably, if I was going to t- res- remove the reserve list, I would give like a serious, like, um, like an 18-month to 36-month uh, warning, saying, hey, in 18 months, we're going to start taking cards off the reserve list. Um, we're not going to tell you how many cards, which cards, you know, how many, you know, the frequency that which you're going to take them off, but the reserve list will eventually, you know, maybe contain just the power nine or nothing, you know? Um, and then, because there are lots and lots of cards on the reserve list that don't need to be on the reserve list. We've talked about it many, many times, Jerry. Uh, cards that are, that really see no play anywhere but are on the reserve list just because they happen to be a rare. Um, 
and I think those would be first. I think uh, I would bring off like a you know a, a dual land every six months and put them in in like master sets or something like that. I mean, we see Eternal Masters and Modern Masters switching off every year, so that that's a really good uh, way to bring uh, reprints um, you know in is bringing them like in Eternal Master sets. Um, but I have no problem with the reserve list going away. I own, you know, I own a handful of dual lands myself, and if they dropped in value, I really wouldn't care, because all I really care about are people playing the game. Um, I don't really care about collectors, to be quite honest with you. So, if I was king of the universe, and I decided that I wanted to get rid of the reserve list, what I would do is I would, um, go all around the world using Hasbro's infinite bank of money, (laughs) and, uh, I would just buy up every copy of every reserve list card from the black lotuses down to the hill giants and everything in between just the temerian fiends uh along with the ancestral recalls buy every single copy put it all together in a warehouse and um just reenact that scene from christopher nolan's the dark knight where he just lights them all on fire and just you know some people want to see the world burn uh i don't know if you noticed uh quick little kind of Fun fact about that. I'm, I'm sort of a movie buff, Jerry. I really enjoy oh, movies. Okay. I love getting deep into movies. Um, if you look in that scene where the Joker's kind of sitting on that pile of cash, um, way, way in the background, you can see a bucket of Boston Market chicken. <laughs> I mean, anyway. it makes sense. Gotham is in the Northeast. <laughs> yes, and obviously he's trying to burn all the terrible things in Gotham, which now, includes Boston Market. So I would burn... Every single copy of every single reserve list cards. And in the mass hysteria and panic that followed, because I would live stream it, of course. (laughs) Maybe Periscope. (laughs) Uh, I would then, at the end, announce that, uh, you know, the reserve list is no more. We're going to start printing these cards again. And maybe some copies were squirreled away in Grandma's attic, and those become the true collector's items that the collectors get to hoard over, and everyone else just gets to play with these cards that they can play with that's how i would do it if i was the king of the world that's pretty cool what if like you said hey like we're offering a buyback program on these cards here's the price that we're willing to offer you can either sell them to us or so when companies do that with stock in the real world it has the tendency of driving the stock price way up Mm -hmm. so that would i would feel have the opposite effect and it would just reduce the supply while still keeping a significant out at a much inflated price but if they knew, if you if you couple that with, we are removing the reserve list. We are going to buy these cards at this price. If you want to get rid of your cards, that's fine. But after you know one year, all bets are off. I could totally see that. That's actually totally reasonable. That actually happens in uh, a lot of uh, you know actual company mergers and uh, you know sometimes bankruptcy uh, claims. So that 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 would be good. How I would actually do it if I wanted to, you know not cause a massive panic is I would do the Disney vault uh, method. Yeah. So Disney has this tradition with its classic movies. They don't just have their classic movies available all the time that you can buy whenever you want. They have the Disney vaults where every five years they release a remastered version of Cinderella where they tweak the chromatone and a new Pocahontas where they remix the sound quality and they just re-release it year after year and it keeps their intellectual property feeling fresh and you know nice for a new generation of kids. Mm. I feel they could easily do the same thing with the reserve list where 
it's like, okay, uh, this uh, season, uh, you know, every six months this season, these are the reserve list cards that are being reprinted, and they reprint them as like either GP promos for, you know, the let, you know, some of the let, you know, F and M, even F and M cards for like the shitty cards that no one wants anymore, mm-hmm. or they could just not even bother reprinting them and just make them like the promos. You know, that's I feel is what the promo should be is the reserve list cards. These are special cards that you can only get now at special times with a promotion from wizards mm-hmm. okay yeah that's awesome um i like that uh so william also asks i don't know is there anything else you want to add to that jerry before we move on no we got it. we got it okay cool uh does the length of a tournament factor into your deck choice would you personally play miracles or lands in a 10 plus round tournament uh me um uh, it, I guess it does factor in because when I was, I kind of told a story p- previously, but I'll just reiterate. When we went to um, uh, Columbus, I had the choice of essentially blue red or Grixis Delver, and Grixis being a much more grindy deck that requires a lot more uh, thoughtfulness. Um, I did not want to play that over certainly like a nine round day one and like seven round day two or whatever it is. Um, so I chose to play blue red. Um, I like Braden's answer that he says it's a ratio length of tournament uh, <laughs> to the number of bolts in deck, <laughs> which is pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jerry? Like, do you do you take deck choice into consideration when you're playing like a, a long tournament, or is it more about like what do you think has a better chance to spike the tournament? Uh, for me, it has a lot to do with you know your expected win rate. So I'll never take a deck like Tin Fins or Charbelcher into a 15 round GP, but I'll take that into a four round F and M any day of the week. Um, I feel there are certain decks that require you to get lucky, and it's a lot easier to get lucky four times in a row than it is to get lucky 15 times in a row. Um, so that has a big influence on me for playing those decks that I'll play those, you know, very luck-based decks in shorter tournaments. And then for the longer tournaments, I'll try and up my decision factor, but I don't want to up it to the point where it becomes exhausting to play. Uh, which on the other end of the spectrum, I won't ever play a deck like Miracles or Lands in a 15-round GP because I know I would pass out from exhaustion by the end of it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um... Joe Gardner asks, when are you going to start doing set reviews? I mean, the answer is never, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel we already do set reviews. We look at the spoiler, and we pick the one or two cards that might still play. <laughs> right, That's a set I've, review as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I have zero zero intention of ever doing, like, a, a limited resources, multi-part, many-hour set review. I just don't have time for that. Uh, maybe if we ever get a Patreon up and running and uh, we're getting paid to do the cast, then we can consider it. But until until I'm making money on it, I just don't have the time or the uh, – or I don't hate myself enough to, to do a cast. That that's, that's Does anyone even listen to those anymore? Like I stopped listening to set reviews from pretty much every podcast a long time ago. Uh, I th- yeah, the I mean, castmate, the, the cat people casting don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> like, I think like the only one that's really worth listening to is something like limited resources when you have a guy like LSV on. But like if we're just talking about local grinders evaluating cards, I'm like, ah, I really don't. It just doesn't do it for me. Um, I don't listen to them. So and certainly, I, mean, I really don't. I really, I don't give a shit about about standards. So the, in that context, like no one ever says, oh, this card will be good in Legacy. It's always like, oh, this may have this effect in Standard or Modern. And because I don't play either of those, I, I just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me. Um, so never. But we will continue to go through spoilers, go through uh, you know the the preview season, and uh, pull out cards we think are interesting. Uh, Aaron, sorry. Nice. 
Yeah. Aaron Sadler gives us a list. Uh, he asked us if we if I'd play the Spicy Pile. Um, yes, I would play it because it has four him to Torak, and that's a card I've always wanted to cast in uh, in Legacy. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Four Thoughtseize, four him to Torak. I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Yeah. And then it goes... Four Aether Vial, four Sensei's Divining Top, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> four Welder, four Strix, four Confidant, four Winding Constrictor. Four I had to look up what that did. What's that? Winding Constrictor? <laughs> yeah. It's it's a new card, isn't it? Yeah, it's a new Snack. It's new Snack. Don't yeah. step on Snack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what's it do? It's like if a per- it's like green so, and a black. Yeah, it's, for a it's two, green three. black for a two three. The snake, uh, if one or more counters would be placed on an artifact or creature you control, that many of those counters plus one are placed on that permanent instead. If you would get one or more counters, uh, you get that many counters plus one instead. So bad against uh, infect. That <laughs> infect. Um, I I would play this because of the hymns. I don't know if I'd play this for any other reason. I don't think top fits into this deck. I don't. I mean. I don't think you want Strix or Dark Confidant. I, I don't know. Yeah, so I feel if you're doing Welder, you want to be going bigger. Mm. Like, he's using Welder to recur things that he sacrifices to Arcbound Ravager. Um, yeah, I feel you either want to be going bigger with the Goblin Welder. I like the idea here. Mm. Uh, because It is very spicy. Uh, Maddie Studios posted a combo uh, that I thought was hilarious using walking ballista and the counter guy um so uh, let me just find it here uh, here it is so the combo is hardened scales if one or more plus one plus one counters will be placed on a creature you control and we put plus one plus one plus one counters are placed on it instead so same ability as the snake it adds an extra counter walking ballista you know comes into play with counters and it's remove a plus one plus one counter from ballista it deals one damage to target creature or player and then the combo piece is Rite of Passage from Fifth Dawn, which I have these in my bulk binder. <laughs> it's two and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control is dealt damage, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So what you do is the Walking Ballista removes a counter and shoots itself mm-hmm. to put two plus one, plus one counters on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. It then does it over and over, so it becomes like an infinite infinite, and then you can just start taking those counters and shoot them at your opponent's face. <laughs> okay, so all right, so it's just an in, like a an infinite combo, right? So I feel if you use hardened sca- uh, scales plus the snake uh, plus the rite of passage, uh, that could be a pretty sweet green based uh, combo deck. Is- which I think he's he's like he has the idea, but I just think it needs a little more refining. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, when you have like Goblin Sharpshooter and Basilisk Collar on it. Yeah. It just gets to kill all creatures on the board. Exactly. That's a fun one. But that doesn't get to kill your opponent like this one does. Nope. This one. I just, I've been in a kill people with 1-1 counters mood. You know, I wrote about the Necroticus. <laughs> now I'm like in this combo. It, it's fun times. Fun times. <laughs> um. All right. Let's see. Um. Uh. So that's the deck. Uh. We have one more. Uh, Scott asks, uh, Mary Fuck Kill with Emrakul Ulamog Kozilek. I'm not really into Hentai. That's just a whole lot of tentacles for me. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, Mary Emrakul because Emrakul is Bay. Like, uh, you don't get better than Emrakul. Uh, Mary Emrakul. Uh, okay. You know, I like Kozilek. You know, we haven't really seen much of Kozilek, but, you know, we got Kozilek's Return. 
We got Inquisition of Kozlik. Kozlik is a pretty useful side piece. Uh, so fuck, fuck Kozlik. Um, Ulamog, I don't, I don't really see much value in Ulamog. You know, he's just, you know, sometimes he pops up and he's always going against me. Um, so I'm just gonna kill Ulamog. Not a fan. Okay. All right. We just learned a lot about Jerry's uh, personal fetishes here as well, so that's. Cool. I mean, Emmercool is Bay. I'm I'm a sneaking show player. How can you vault me? <laughs> Ugh, the tentacles all up in your ass. So that is no. <laughs> in your in, like in your nostrils and like fucking your ears in. It's like, cool man. Enjoy that. <laughs> this is a children's show. <laughs> this is nothing. Children. This is not a children's show. All right. <laughs> hey Jerry, you ever do candy flipping? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that's a piece, Adrian. That's where Adrian really went. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. So actually, that gets us through all of our. Oh, well, we have one more thing. Uh, Dominic asked about. Uh, he screen capped an Aaron Forsyth tweet. Heard all the quote unquote unbanned Jace chatter today. We'll talk it through. We'll talk through it at the next meeting, as always. Watsy staff. Um, do so. I feel like he means we'll talk it through at the next meeting, as always. In that they always talk about unbanning Jace. <laughs> that's how I take it and that it doesn't really mean anything but uh, do you have any other insight in there uh, I mean I think uh, the conspiracy hat theorists uh, mentions that Modern Masters comes up pretty closely aligned to the newly announced ban and restricted uh, update yeah people think are they gonna they're gonna release Modern Masters 2017 with Jace in tandem with announcing that it's unbanned hmm. that'd be cool I guess I don't know I think if it's if Snapcast was in there, I know you had mentioned this before, maybe might not have a lot of room for a Jason Mind Sculptor. Um, well, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I don't think we'll see. I don't think we'll see Jace in in Modern. I think it. I think it'd be fine there, but I don't think we'll see it. We'll see that. Yeah. 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 All right, Jerry. Who do you want to scoop in at top eight this week? Uh, I want to scoop in Jason Grizzly because, yeah, he's always talking sneaking show with me, so it's cool <laughs> bouncing ideas off of him. Uh, also, I was hit up this morning from a Boshin McLeod, all the way from Poland, uh, saying that he likes listening to the cast, so shout out, it's cool hearing from, uh, from people all over the world. Awesome. Uh, you stole my scoop. Because he also shot me a message, and it was really nice to hear. What the hell, Bosh, and you're cheating on me? <laughs> I thought we had something special. It's always awesome to hear from listeners. He had some really nice things to say. Um, really appreciate it. Glad to see him in the group. I hope he gets uh, as much out of it as we do. And, um, yeah, um, I don't know, man. It's always it's always really humbling and awesome to hear people who enjoy the cast because I just kind of see it as, oh, just Jerry and I kind of shoot the shit every week. Uh, you know, we enjoy each other's company, and then I spend some time editing and post it out there and i don't really consider it that much again um my the most interaction i really have is on, the, is on the facebook group which again is like 450 people and growing strong every day um uh I, which i really enjoy that quite a bit so it, it's just cool to hear people that get something out of the cast really enjoy it and uh, yeah and, and send the love back our way really appreciate it man uh yeah um so jerry if someone wants to uh, get a hold of you man where can they find you I'm on Twitter at Jamie3RD, also the Facebook group. Uh, just hit me up whenever. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you can find me on the Facebook group as well, on Twitter at Pat Uglo. Uh, you can find me streaming every Wednesday. I'm tr- I'm making an effort to stream more often, but it hasn't been going that great. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Pat uh, just some, It's hard to find t- time to carve out to play um, to stream at Magic, believe it or not. Um, but I do I do stream there every week on Wednesdays. Uh, I do the CLL over there. 
which is a ton of fun. Um, if you're interested in free Legacy League on Magic Online, you can find me also on the Community Legacy League recap. Uh, same same uh, station that this is on on MTGcast.com. Um, yeah, if, if I don't have any, if, uh, I don't have anything more, Jerry. If you want, you want to roll the thing. Roll L die. Roll L die. Seven. Uh, New Orleans is sinking by the tragically hip. This is Braden's suggestion. <laughs> All right. Is it a hipster song, Jerry? <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Jerry is it a hipster song. <laughs> it sounds hipster. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me give this a live listen in right now. Oh, this looks actually like an old song. Oh, it's from 1989. Play it for me, Pat. Can you hear it? No. Well, so far it's good. All right. Okay. Okay, I can dig this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Blue on the street. Uh, Alright, that's that's fine. That's passable. Alright. I can get into it. Fuck, I want walking ballistas, but I don't want to pay $10 for them. Yeah, just wait till they'll be out of standard. You'll be able to get them um, for a dollar. I'm buying the rest of that deck, though. Are you really? <laughs> I'm buying Winding Constrictors, Rite of Passage, and Hard Scales. <laughs> so far, the deck is $14. <laughs> Are you buying it in paper? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's uh, I wonder how much it is on Magic Online. Send me the deck list. Maybe I'll play it in the, in the league this week. Actually, maybe I won't. I need uh, I need seven points in the next four weeks to get my buy for the quarterly, so I don't uh, want to throw that away. I'm playing this in paper, baby. All right. All right, well, guys, thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a great Monday, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Oh yeah. Play us out with something sweet, Pat. <laughs> all right.